Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. Well, there was a little boy in class, math class, and um, it was time to learn fractions. So the teacher posed what we used to call story problems. And her story problem this day, they were studying fractions, she said to this little boy, you have a pie at your house, and there is you and your four brothers and sisters, that's five, mom and dad, that's seven. How many pieces is that pie going to be divided into? And the boy said, that's easy, six. And she said, you don't understand fractions then. And he said, you don't understand my mom. <laughs> because if there was a pie, she would say she didn't care for any and let somebody have hers. Well, moms sacrifice, don't they? Uh, that's one of the reasons, because of the incredible sacrifices that mothers make, that we have a Mother's Day to recognize that, and to recognize the influences that you moms have on all the rest of us. And it's tremendous. Mothers are important, and mothers are important in the Bible. There are well over 300 mentions of mothers, the word mother, in the Word of God. That's a lot. 300 plus. Contrast that with there are 11 mentions of mother-in-law. Make of that what you will. <laughs> but they're all in reference to a mother, Naomi. Every time mother-in-law is mentioned, it's talking about Naomi, who was a good mother to her sons who passed away, and then she was a fantastic mother to her daughters-in-law. Had it not been for Naomi, we would not have a King David. We would not have the nation of Israel. She was a great mother. So mothers are important in the Bible, and there are a bunch of them. You think about the very first mother, Eve. Eve is the mother of all the living. There are other great mothers. You think of people like Sarah. Her name alone means mother of many nations, and she was. She stood by Abraham, and, and there were many times when Sarah displayed much greater wisdom than the father of the faithful did. And there were more than a couple times she got him out of difficult circumstances. Sarah was a remarkable person, a remarkable mother. Think about Rebecca. Rebecca, the wife of Isaac. She had to have very special wisdom because she had the task of raising some very different kinds of sons. She raised two boys, that's all she had, but those two boys from the very beginning, we're at each other's throats. And that would have consequences down the line, not only for her family, but for really every family on the face of the planet. And she had to have, Rebecca had to have very special wisdom because she had these two very difficult, very clashing sons. And how she managed that, it's textbook on how to be a good mother. Rachel another incredible mother in the Hebrew Scriptures. 
You, you know she's the mother of 12 sons. They become the tribes of Israel, but there are daughters too that do remarkable things. And it's her family, her immediate family, that becomes the chosen nation. There's the mother of Moses. We know her name, Jochebed. What a resourceful person. Her son is born, Moses is born, when there is a ban on allowing Hebrew boys to live, to even survive the womb. They're to be killed. She refuses to do that. She knows in her heart that that's not right. And she knows in her heart that God has a plan for her little boy. And so she is the one who comes up with the idea of of trusting God by putting him in a little waterproof basket and shoving him out into the water. And he's picked up by none other than the princess of Egypt, the daughter of the ruler of Egypt. But she has no experience in, in how to raise a baby. Moses' mother, in her wisdom, has sent along older sister Miriam to run long and keep an eye on that basket as it bobs up and down in the water to find out where it goes. And, and she's instructed that girl to do what she does. She says to the princess of Egypt, what a brilliant plan Moses' mother had. My mother will watch him for you until he's of age. And so she ends up raising her son for the princess of Egypt and being paid for the mothering. Pretty smart, huh? It's a resourceful lady, clever lady. But when you think about it, if there had been no mother of Moses, there would have been no Moses. So I think about her. She, in the, the few years that she had this child, who would go on to be the prince of Egypt and be trained in all the ways of Egypt, she was able in that short time to instill enough of her life in God in him, enough of the faith that it would guide him later in life. Even Egypt couldn't erase what she planted deep in his soul. But you have no mother of Moses, you've got no Moses, you've got no deliverance, you've got no nation, you've got no Bible, you've got no Ten Commandments that our civilization is built on. That's that one mother. There's Hannah. She becomes the mother of Samuel. Samuel is a miracle baby. We know what that's like. Couldn't have babies, but she prayed and she got her baby boy. But She dedicated him to the Lord and he grows up to become a priest, but more than a priest, he grows up to become the first of the prophets, a great spokesman for God. And he's the last of the great judges. You don't have Samuel if you don't have Hannah. Bathsheba, wife, reluctant wife of David. She put up with an awful lot from King David. He was a man after God's own heart, but that doesn't mean he was a sterling character. He was not. And she bore the brunt of a lot of his ugliness. She also bore him a son, and she had the grief of having that child die a toddler's death. But it didn't break her completely. She had another son, a second son, and she was able with that second son, Solomon, to navigate him through all the chaos that David had created in the family with his sin and his bloody behavior. The family was fractured in each other's throats and who was going to be the successor. And she was clever enough. And on her insistence, Solomon becomes the king. 
He becomes the great king, the great temple builder for the house of God. He becomes the wisest man that's ever lived. Bathsheba did that. You go to the New Testament, Elizabeth, mother of John the Baptist, about whom Jesus said, no one greater has been born among women than John the Baptist. Elizabeth was his mother. A lesser-known lady by the name of Salome. Common name, but this Salome was the mother of James and John, the sons of thunder. Sons of thunder, followers of Jesus. And then, of course, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. I don't think we in our circles talk nearly enough about Mary. She's remarkable in every way. Filled with the Word, filled with the Spirit of God. Wisdom way beyond her years. And chosen by God for a task that no one would ever know anything like. Mary experienced things, saw things, felt things in her soul that nobody else has ever had to carry. Remarkable, remarkable mother. Paul encountered two mothers, Lois and Eunice, mother and grandmother, to his son in the faith, Timothy, who did so much to spread the gospel and to help Paul and be a benefit to him. But Paul is very clear in saying, if there was not a grandmother and a mother, I would not have a son in the faith. So all of these ladies, but outside of Scripture, there's just tons of godly moms throughout the history of the church too. John Wesley, the great reformer and founder. Without John Wesley, we would not be doing church the way we do church today. He has affected the way everybody anywhere today is doing church. He was a great and godly man, but he had a great and godly mother, Susanna. Susanna Wesley had rules, five rules for raising children Here's how wise she was. One of her rules for raising children was, she said, to teach a child not to lie. She said, never punish them when they openly confess something. And then you'll teach them not to lie. Lies. She also said, and she lived this and taught all of her 12 children, you teach a child to pray as soon as they can speak. It's one of her rules for mothering. Susanna Wesley in our own Pentecostal movement, there are a number of prominent mothers and mothers in the faith. I'm thinking of a lady by the name of Jenny Seymour, wife of William Seymour, the founder of the Azusa Street Revival that birthed modern-day Pentecost. Remarkable. She wasn't just the wife of the founder, she was a founder. She was a leader. There weren't too many places where people demonstrated that kind of leadership if you were black and a woman in 1906 America, but Jenny Seymour was. Down through our movement, there have been tons of women that have done great things, and mothers, mothers in the faith, and mothers indeed, Lillian Trasher, who though she never married and had children of her own, she ran an orphanage and really had thousands upon thousands of children. Remarkable life. Remarkable mothers, godly mothers. And so, moms, we, we honor you today. Because you are in a long line, a long tradition of mothers that are worthy of honor. And that's why we have a Mother's Day, special day for you. You know, as we wrap this up, among the, the greatest things that you mothers do for the rest of us is you make memories. You make memories that we 
live with and recall and cherish forever, forever. You make memories. My mom's been gone a year and a little bit, and at her memorial, I, I remembered, I talked about some things that I will remember. I saved my notes. I told everybody then, and I still remember these things. I said, I will remember about my mom learning to read, her teaching me to read when I was four years old. Got out a dinosaur book. She always worked in the evenings, nights, and so I was home until I was six years old and went off to school, and that was magic time because she would sit down with me and open the books and we would read, and she taught me to read when I was four, a gift that I couldn't begin to repay, and I'll remember that. I told everybody then that I uh, later remember as I got older and in school, she would have me pull up a stool next to her as she worked at the sink and have me read out loud. But, but she assigned the reading. And so from an early age, she had me reading great things, not comic books, although I did read comic books, but she wanted to hear me read great things. And that instilled a love for that in me as well. So I'll remember that. I'll remember sitting on a metal stool that she had. And that's where we got our haircuts. She did all the hair. I never went to a barber shop until I was in college because she always cut the hair. Too many boys to pay for barbers. So she learned to cut hair. And I'll remember that. I'll remember that uh, her hairstyle from the time she was probably 13 or 14, according to the pictures, never changed. It was a 1940s ponytail, and that's the way it stayed. And even at the end, she was very insistent when it was too hard for her to put her own hair up that that's the way it had to be. She never changed that hairstyle. I'll remember that. And I told them then, and I, I do remember it still, the total irritation meltdown that she had the first time we ever went into a Protestant church. She was raising us Roman Catholics and decided at some point... Maybe this isn't the best. The results were not great uh, in our behavior. So she, one Christmas, decided we need to go to church. So we went, walked down the street, wintertime, snow all over, to a Protestant church to see a little musical called The Littlest Angel. And we went up in the balcony of this church, and we were sitting there, and she, it was her and, and six kids. And she was trying to keep herd on all of us, and we were squirming around, and finally the production started. The lights went down, the production started. And that's when my, one of my brothers and I, we had gotten a program, and we noticed that almost all of the parts were being played by one family in that church. I had heard the family's name pronounced in the neighborhood. It was pronounced Crapo, but it was spelled C-R-A-P-O. So when we read it in the program and we started saying it out loud, people were shushing us saying, no, it's pronounced crapo. But we would say it the other way and laugh. And finally, we started laughing so hard. She was so embarrassed and couldn't, couldn't pinch us and twist our skin hard enough to make us shut up that my little brother laughed hard. He kicked off his penny loafer and it went over the balcony. And that's when she gathered us up and took us home. And she was swatting us on the way home as we were walking through the snow piles. 
And that was the first time I remember her saying something that she would repeat many, many, many times, and that is, I am raising animals, I am raising animals. So I'll remember that. I remember, too, the care that she took to make Christmas very special. I remember when I was in boxing competition, I hated it when she attended my fights because she would be in a corner somewhere praying for me. And the other guys on the team said, would say, your mom's praying again. That didn't help me. Believe me, that didn't help. Maybe it did. I remember the kind things that she, when we found out that Anna had, was diagnosed with MS and how very kind she was. And she was always very concerned to know and always wanted to know how she's doing. Those are the kind of things you see, Mom, that we remember. You create memories. I'll remember how my mom poured her life into people that most of society throws away. She was very involved in women's prison ministry and taught people to read, taught the scriptures, taught different courses to ladies in prison that most people had slammed the door on. People that couldn't say thank you, I'll remember that. So what I said at her memorial, and I say it again, is I will choose my memories. I'll choose my memories. And I'll choose the ones that, uh, that I, I draw on, and I'll choose the good ones. But there are a whole bunch of them. You see, that's what moms do. For the rest of us is you create memories for us that can't be erased, that never go away. There was a little girl. She was little enough that she could still sit in her mommy's lap, safe place. And she was sitting in her mom's lap, and she loved her mom. Her mom was like a treasure to her. And so she was running her hand over her mom's features, over her nose, her lips, her chin, cheeks, ears, very slowly. And she was she was caressing and running her hand over her mom's features like they were precious treasures. And to the little girl, they were. After a little bit of that, the little girl said, Mommy, can I see your heart? And her mom said, Well, I don't know about that, but I tell you what you can do. You can look in my eyes and see if you can see my heart. So she got up in her mom's lap and she leveled her eyes with hers, and she looked really hard into her mom's eyes. And after a few seconds of that, she was very surprised, and she blurted out, she said, Mommy, I can see all the way to your heart. And there's a little girl in there, and it's me. <laughs> see, moms, you carry us in your heart. And that's probably the greatest memory that you create. So on this year day, we want you to feel honored, and we hope you do, uh, because we love our moms. There are many in this room who we've experienced what it's like to be without our moms for a short time. But it makes no difference, because the memories are still there, aren't they? They don't go away. Because what you do, mom, is you create things so strong that nothing can take them away. So we honor you today. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly.
a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.